Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Gary, and welcome to the second season of It's Personal. Okay, good. This is going to be really dope, but I don't want any <laughs> Putting yourself out there as practitioners who are growing and learning. Not at all. My name is Kwame Mbalia. I'm an author. I'm Padma Venkatraman, the author of The Bird Home. Sure, yeah. My name is Natasha Diaz. Code switching and all those things. I mean, all of that. All the time. I mean, he's still on the road all the time, but you know, like as a new mom. The relationship that I have cultivated from there. I'm I'm so excited to talk to you. This is amazing. This is so fun. All right. Good? Yep. All right. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of This Personal. Uh, today, I have a very, very special guest. I'm not going to say a whole bunch about him in the beginning, but I'm just going to let it be known. This guy is one of my favorite authors by far. Um, one of the reasons why, like, I remember reading his book, and, like, every page, there was a reference or a phrase or something that connected to me. And that's one of the things I love about him is that everything he speaks about is his truths and he speaks from the heart and one of the other things I enjoy the most about him is that there's this thing about culture and community that he enjoys but he also isn't ashamed to talk about the things that are underlined in between all that um can you please introduce yourself uh hey thank you for having me um my name is Kese Lehman I am a black southern writer from Jackson Mississippi and I teach now at the University of Mississippi um, I write books. Uh, the last book I wrote was heavy. Um, I wrote an essay book before that, How to Solo Cure Yourself and Others, and a fiction book before that called a uh, novel called Long Division. And like everybody else, I'm just at home working, <laughs> trying to teach. And I'm very, I feel lucky to be here with you, connecting. Um, so thank you. No, I, I appreciate it, man. And again, I know it's busy times right now. Just to start off, how, are, how have things been going, man? Uh, yeah, you know, they, they've been, um, I think we're all trying to find our legs and I think we're all imagining what the other, quote unquote, other side of this looks like. Um, I told, I was talking to you about a bit earlier, you know, when it all started, I think a lot of us thought about our own health, the health of our grandparents, our parents, and, you know, I lost one of my students last week. And um, I don't want to say that gave me perspective because it didn't, it just kind of messed me up even more. And um, I'm just scared, fam. That's real true. I'm just very, I mean, I'm less scared because I know everybody's scared, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kind of scared right now. Yeah. I feel you. And I think it's not just for like our own sake, but like we said, family members who are are older, are still working, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's something, and this is something you can't control. Like you can't, there's nothing you can really do. Like you can't. And our family is so tight. And, and like emotion emotionally tight even though we're geographically all over the place mm-hmm. and so you know i know if my grandmama goes there's no way she's gonna be the only one you know and vice mm-hmm. versa like i'm i've always been since a kid you know a black boy loved hip-hop but i always so I was, you know i was thinking about death a lot but i always was like damn i just want to make it longer than my mom or my grandma mm-hmm. because i because mm-hmm. i knew what might happen if I pass before then. But that, so right now when I say I'm scared, I'm just scared of like, what happens if somebody in my family passes? Because I think I know that that it's not just gonna be one person. You know, I think Mm -hmm. heartbreak is a real thing. I think people die from their Mm -hmm. hearts breaking. And so Mm -hmm. anyway, 
we all scared about that, I think, right now in this world. But yeah, that's the real answer to that question is like, I'm super scared. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, that connection that you can continue to have, whether that's online, whether that's yeah. through whatever it is, like that is what seems to continue to keep people going or have that sense of hope. Because right now it seems like it's one of those things that no one knows when this nope. thing is, is gonna end or slow down, no. right? Um, right? Besides that, like, you're teaching classes right now. You're online, you were saying, right? Yep. Yeah. I'm teaching um, a fi un uh, undergrad fiction course, and I'm okay. teaching a graduate course on uh, Black satire. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So can you tell me, like, what did, like, schooling look like for you when you were younger? What that look like? Um, You know what? That's a dope question. Is because, like, I'm one of those dudes who never... I've, like, been in school since I was... I think they, I was in Head Start, which is, like, a pre-K, you know, situation we had in Mississippi. So I've been in school my entire life. You know what I'm saying? I've never not been affiliated with an institution. And I used to be embarrassed to say it out loud, but when you ask that question, I'm like, damn, where do I start? Um, I'll just say, you know, schooling for me, fam, like I just, it was fun. I just love to go to school because I love sports. I love my friends. I did not you know, I love classes, sorta, kinda. But the only thing I loved about classes was I got to act up with my friends. Um, <laughs> so school was always like a joy. The education, the formal education part of it was miserable. I don't think my teachers were prepared um, to do what we needed them to do, but we were all in there together. Uh, so it just like school was just so fucking joyful for me, <laughs> man. Even though I did poorly and even though like I got kicked out of many different schools, but it was just, it was just, I just love, I mean, I love school. Like that's the, that's the thing. That, I, I was not good in school, but I loved it. I just loved it. What about you? Was, did you love school? I because did. You're, you're you teaching know, now, right? Yeah. I am teaching, you know, and I did love school. I think it was one of those things where I grew up where my parents, like, I think they valued it, but they were also kind of put in a position where they didn't complete it at times. One of them had to like stop and they went back and got their grade 12 at one point. And then when me and my sister were born, they just kind of drilled it into us like why education is so important. Right. And like, as you know, it was similar. It was probably like, I know a lot of people in my community, they were going to school. Um, a lot of them weren't going to university at the time. Um, and that kind of became a goal for me. And then so I think sports allowed me to not, I don't want to say get in trouble or hang out with the wrong crowd because I did hang out with like absolutely everybody. Mm -hmm. Sports was my outlet. Like I had practice, yeah. so I couldn't do anything else. Right. Like, I had practice, dad had me in piano. I hated piano, like piano. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? But he always had me doing stuff. And I think without actually saying it, the purpose was because if I wasn't doing those things, I'd be into something else. Yeah. Um, if you had, um, you you said some of your teachers basically had things that were missing. What do you think they were missing? And what could they have done to make that schooling better for you? I mean, you know, I grew up in Mississippi, um, black, and, and more importantly, I grew up in Jackson, right? Jackson, Mississippi, which is, you know, 80% black city. Um, and the schools that I went to, there weren't any black teachers. Well, there was one black teacher and mostly black schools. But I understand why the teachers failed. But man, like, I mean, they never talked to us. I mean, you know, the word race, I don't remember it being said. Racism, mm -hmm. definitely don't remember it. You know, sexism had no way. You know what I mean? Like, like just a lot of the things, I read about this in the book, a lot of the things that everyone in that class were dealing with, like those words, those ideas were never taught. So it just made schooling seem like you had to put on this ill-fitting um, 
uniform in order to make it through when sometimes the clothes we had on were were enough. You know, I wanted my teachers to, to talk to us about like what we were actually going through. And even like when we, you know, we do world history, but they would never talk about Africa. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you do US not talk history. about Africa? I don't know how you do world history, but we do US <laughs> history. And we wouldn't talk about Mississippi history. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Um, and so, again, they were underpaid. They were overworked. But there was just a lot that they avoided, I think, at the expense of them and it's definitely the expense of us. But luckily, like, my mother was an educator. My friends, you know, informally. We all informally educated each other. hip-hop was huge you know we got a lot of education for better and for worse through a lot of the mcs that we listened to um so you know we i i was thoroughly educated but the formal education part of it was was a failure like i'm a writer now but i never had a creative writing class in any you know high school middle school college they didn't even they didn't really value that 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 kind of work meanwhile we're reading novels you know what i mean like (laughs) yeah come on so, what sports did you play? I played basketball. I played college basketball okay. in college. Yeah, 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 I played for four, four years. I played for four years, oh, and I did wow. my BED um, for two years. And I didn't. I just coached throughout that. And I've been coaching like high school, middle school for a while. This is my first year I hadn't really coached in school because we moved. Um, so, and you know what? Oddly enough, it felt good. It felt good not to coach. Did not while, coach? Man. Yeah, it felt really good. Yeah, because I think it's one of those things where like you forget. You always can feel your time. You always end up filling your time with something. And I yeah. started feeling that time with just like spending more time with my wife or like yes. reading or like just doing more like creative stuff. Um, and I wouldn't say I don't miss it. Like I do miss being around the kids, but it's not bad having to rush every day after school, right. practice, cross town for games, etc. cetera. Um, top five MCs, dude. Who? Who are your top five MCs? Oh, no, no okay. particular order, no particular order. No particular order. You know what's interesting? Like, because you're Canadian. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna save that one spot, but okay, top five, Jigga, no order, right? My top five, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Jigga, 3000, um, Scarface. Biggie. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, if you don't put Drake in your top five, like, at this point, you kind of just hate him. I, I, I can agree with that. In terms of accomplishments, because all of the that. MCs that I named, if they'd accomplished what Drake accomplished, they would, they would be like, that's why I'm top five, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm super critical of Drake, super critical of Drake, <laughs> but just on like the strength of like championships, you gotta be like mm-hmm. that means I didn't even say Pac, right? Like that's what's mm-hmm. crazy because Tupac for the longest was like the, the you know the dude. I didn't say Kendrick, who was like probably most influential young MC in my life, but mm-hmm. um, I didn't say Wayne, who I think like his life story would make an incredible film. I'm trying to get some people to buy into that now. Anyway, what about you? Top five. <laughs> Dude, who's interviewing you here? Like, what's going oh, on? Oh, my fault, my fault. My, I just, I just know you got some good answers, bro. Uh, Jigga was, Jigga was all like one of my favorite, like from the very beginning. 
Right. Um, this is no particular order either. Um, yeah. I'd probably go, I'd probably, I would definitely put Tupac just yeah. because um, Kendrick would have, Kendrick, I put, I, I would, I want to put Drake or Kendrick next to each other. Right. I think, right. I do feel like Drake because of a lot of different things. He gets, um, he gets seen more. He mm. is very creative, but there's other, I think there's mm. other things that also allows him to be seen a little bit more. Absolutely, um, right. You, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yep, I definitely know what you're talking about. Uh, who else? Um, I probably put, I think I'd put Nas as well. Yeah. Um, I think I'm at five. I guess I put, I put, what, it's hard, man. It's really Let hard. me ask this question. Let me ask this question. If, 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 if we're going to put Drake up there, how do we not put M up there? I know, and and that's and that's the other thing, right? Like, how do you? It, I think it's impossible to pick five. Really, it's so hard, right? It's so hard, right? It's like almost impossible, almost impossible. So, can you tell me, like, let's? I want to talk about the book just for a little bit because mm-hmm. after I finished reading the book, um, I think I mentioned to you, like, I had this conversation with my wife about um, the idea of like shame and and lies, which like is something you talked very specifically about throughout the entire book. Um, what what do you think it is about shame and lies in like the black community? Um, because as I hear you talking about it in your book and like, believe it or not, um, me from Canada, um, growing up in Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. where like we have, we have largest black community in Canada, um, but the same things that you talk about in your book are literally the same things that I've seen, I've heard about, or have gone through, which is mm. like just mind blowing to me because we are so far, so far apart, but yet so connected. Right. Um, so yeah, sorry. What is what is the idea of of shame in the in the black yeah. community? Well, first, can I just say I love that like your Nova Scotia experience. Could resonate with like a Jackson, Mississippi experience. I mean, I, I just, I mean, that shit is magic, bro. Like, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's amazing, and it's um, yeah, it 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 is magical. So again, man, I grew up in like you know Jackson, Mississippi. I just grew up around black women who believed that there were that shame should be dealt with internally, not even like familiarly, but internally, right? And so the things that you've done that were shameful, you never, ever talked about publicly. And so when I started to really write, I just started to ask myself, what are the consequences of sort of like letting that shame metastasize and, you know, sort of grow and grow and grow. And the more I looked at myself and looked at my family, looked at the world and read a lot, I, I, you know, I just see people doing all sorts of things to avoid confrontations with shame. And so if I was going to write, I just wanted to free us up to talk through, like, the beginnings and ends of shame mm-hmm. and talk about the consequences of not honestly mm-hmm. reckoning with shame. Do you know what I mean? And I so, do. for example, like, you know, I think the most revolutionary thing that I can do to my family, and this doesn't mean that they like it, is like I can get in front of a room of people, multiracial room, and I can talk about failure. My family, no, that's nothing. They're never, ever, ever going to talk about public failure, publicly talk about failure. It's just not. And so I just didn't understand how you could, like, thoroughly revise yourself or your behavior or your, or your, or your mind 
if you weren't articulating what you've done that you were ashamed of or failure. Mm -hmm. And that's really like the root of it. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. Um, and there's I so do. many, and, and this culture encourages shame at the same time, it like doubly encourages you not to articulate that shame. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And, and it yeah. definitely doesn't. The nation and the world, I think, definitely doesn't encourage us to think about how structures like feed off of that shame. Mm -hmm. Do you know? So I just, if I was going to write, I just didn't want to waste time and not talk about that shit. Mm -hmm. You know? And you, t you talk about like, and I was trying to ask my wife about this. Like there's a part in the book or throughout the book where you're talking to your grandmother and there's parts where you mention there's this uh, idea, especially with like our older generation where things happening the first thing they say is like we need to pray or we need to yeah. um we need to not worry about it we're just going to pray about it we're going to pray about it etc right. um where did that come from and what were your initial thoughts around talking about that in your book I mean I was a hard-headed kid so sometimes my grandmama and then would definitely be like we got to pray about it but as a kid I was like what's the it like mm -hmm. what what are we what are we can you tell me what the it is because the mm -hmm. it is the thing that the unnamed thing was this thing that was supposedly taking up so much space in our chests and our heads, our imagination, our communities. And I believed I was a believer because, you know, I got baptized at seven and all of that shit. But like mm -hmm. at some point, I just was like, we have to kind of start trying to talk about the it when we aren't on our knees. You know what I'm saying? When we were like talking to one another, because it sounds like you're saying that it is dominating damn near everything. But I really don't know what that it is. Can we talk about it? And often, you know, most of the time, my people would be like, no. Because <laughs> not because they were trying to punish me, but because they didn't know how. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, it, had, it hadn't been modeled. Uh, but every now and then, you know, I could hear my grandmama talking to her people, her friends, and just like, you know, ultimately talking in tones that I had never heard before, using like assemblages and languages, language that I had never heard before. Mm -hmm. and, and they would get to it, right? Like they would get to the it. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, and that's one of the reasons I fell in love with hip hop because I think if you strip it all down, like I think a lot of MCs are like wandering and wandering around that it that is like causing them so much bodily, spiritual, intellectual turmoil. You know, mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons Pac is Pac. Like he was trying to name that it. He was trying to connect your it to my it to like this world it and be like, we can change that it, but we got to talk about it. And so, yeah, in the absence of people wanting to do that, I, I just found, I found, I found it in hip hop, you know, and basketball, ironically, where there was, where there's very little talking. I mean, there's a whole lot of talking on the court, but like when you're watching it, there wasn't much talking. And how's, how's grandma doing now? <sighs> She's 91. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, She's got di bad diabetes and big parts of her foot have been cut off. And mm -hmm. but she's just the most brilliant person in the world today, even at 90 to me, even at 91. Like, um, she told me some shit the other day, and I was just like, it's like two days ago, you couldn't really remember nobody's name. You know what I'm saying? Like, because like was this dementia slash like Alzheimer's, like they just go in and out of lucidity, you know? Mm -hmm. And She's great right now, you know, tomorrow, who knows? But just today she's, uh, Trump gave her energy to live because she loves wow. to just sit in a chair and watch TV and talk shit. And like between Trump and Family Feud, like she just gets so hyped, my G. Like it's just, she just, 
she's just i'm telling you like i I do not think my granny would be alive were it not for steve harvey and donald trump and that's shameful but i think it's true because i think it's true <laughs> That's real. True, bro. That is real. That is real. Yeah. And she, she's that generation where, like, you know, they when they when she, when she was born, there wasn't really TV. So, like, she still is enamored by, like, more than three channels, you know? I, so she... Oh. Go ahead. It's, cra- it's crazy because, like, I'm telling you, my grandmother's the exact same way. Really? <laughs> exact same way. <laughs> she has, like, three shows. She only knows how to get to three channels. Right. And like she's like she is able to like here's the thing for one she has like three or four different birthdays like no one actually knows when a birthday is like yes <laughs> and every time we go there like we are we we listen and she has all these like very like educational um spiritual like sayings or phrases that come out of nowhere and nowhere sometimes sometimes and then some other times you're just like man like what are you saying right like we have no idea what you're saying <laughs> it's something wait about, does she does she live in nova scotia too she lives in nova scotia yeah yeah i i want to think think about it as like in a way like me and you everyone else that looks like us we are somehow connected if we look down the line there's parts of us that are connected and these are the reasons reasons why absolutely absolutely yeah. No yeah. question, right? I mean, yeah. that has to be true, right? Yeah, I, I, th- I strongly believe in. I strongly believe that, for sure, for sure. And Nova uh, Scotia, you said Nova Scotia is the blackest. It has the largest black community. Um, in Canada. In Canada, yeah. You know, you know this rapper more... named Pat Stay. You heard his rapper <laughs> named Pat Stay. <laughs> That's my dude. I went to school. With oh, for real? <laughs> yeah. Oh, word. Yeah. Bruh, he he be rapping real. He 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 rap Nova Scotia proper. I'm gonna just tell you that Pastey is a beast. I love Pastey. Oh really? I went to yeah, I went to school with Pat. Um, wow, was he always jacked? He no, he was actually he was always tall, um, but relatively skinny. Um, okay, but you know what the crazy part is though? Like I think Pat rap. He was rap for like a really long time. He's been rapping uh-huh. for since like personal, personal. Like grade ten, maybe even grade nine. He's been yeah. doing like battle rap for like ever. Yeah, um, and my thing was, and I talked to my cousins about this as well. Like, what is the reason why they couldn't bring that out of him in the classroom? Because he hated school. Like, you can ask him. Oh, he, wow. he would come to class and just like walk out. Like he, or he just wouldn't come to class. But like, if wow. there's someone that's doing this now and he's been rapping for that long and that passionate about it, what is the reason why teachers weren't able to connect with him during that time? That's it. You know what I yep. mean? Um, yes. Ah, he's doing his thing right now, though. He's doing his thing. That's amazing, man. That's the first <laughs> interview I've ever been able to bring up Pat Stay, bro. Thank you. Jason, <laughs> okay, so I have a couple, just a couple more questions, okay? Okay. Um, just like an addiction, which is like a huge part of your story 
um, and weight. I guess my question is, how are all those things going now for you? Uh, well, right this right now, they're going great. You know, um, you ask great questions, man. <laughs> the truth is, like, the thing about being locked down is that I can't feed sort of the worst tendencies of myself, mm-hmm. which are like, you know, like, I can't really even want to go gamble because the casinos are closed. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't. I don't eat meat, but I eat all the bad non-meat you can eat. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I, I can't even eat out, you know, I can't eat tater tot nachos because I don't want to make them myself and the place I like to get them is closed. So I'm eating healthier. And much more importantly, like the thing about this COVID shit is like it, it, it sort of recalibrated something in my brain where I'm not thinking so much about obesity or 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 being like extra small. I'm just thinking about how I can make my heart healthier because mm-hmm. I just keep hearing that when people pass it's the lungs and then the heart. So I'm in I'm in a good place right now, fam. Like I'm, you know, I'm doing my exercise. I'm not trying to fucking overdo it, which is what I did for a long time. I'm not eating overeating. And if I am, I'm eating lots of broccoli and shit like that. Um and for me. I'm less depressed and sad because I know everybody else in the world is, which is what I should always know. Cause I think we're all, but like, I just know I'm sort of a recluse. Like I have to be out on the road talking to people all the time, but when I'm not, I'm just mm-hmm. kind of like in my house sort of not wanting to see people, mm-hmm. but I'm a le- I just feel less alone now. Cause everybody mm-hmm. in the world is alone it's to alone. some degree, to some mm-hmm. degree. I, you know, I, I thought that actually, and I did, I did an interview. Yes. I mean, I did a conversation with somebody who's super famous like two days ago and then their kids walked by but it was so interesting because i was like oh we're in the same boat and then they had children come by and i was like oh wait a minute they're not alone you know what i mean like it's different it's different it's different different. so anyway i'm I'm, i feel scared as i said earlier but i also feel less like this is the less this is i've never felt less alone in my life than Mm -hmm. i feel right now wow yeah and would you call yourself, are you an uh, introvert, extrovert? Oh, I'm definitely an introvert, bro. Yeah. I, I mean, so well, my, you know, one, once I get friends, um, I, you know, I cut up and all that kind of stuff. But real talk, like, I haven't had the kind of friends that we were talking about, like, you know, the dudes who are on my basketball team or, you know, the, the brothers I, I lived with, like, like, lived with growing up. Like, I haven't had those sort of friends since college, you know what I mean? And um, I'm definitely an introvert, like, mm-hmm. like, 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 terrifyingly so. I'm so afraid of people's eyes, bro. I'm like, it doesn't matter how big I am, how small I am. It doesn't matter, you know, if I've written anything decent, if I haven't written in like a year, I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm much, I'm very introverted. What about you? Definitely introvert, for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. Like, I'm, I'm curious now just because you said that, but like, how do you manage being an author with that? Because the demand for you to speak publicly, share in front of big crowds, be around people, that's like all the time, I'm assuming. How do you manage that? I manage it a number of ways, but the one way just, you know, it goes back to what we talked about earlier is like, I'm my grandmother's grandson, you know what I'm saying? I'm my mother's mm-hmm. child. Like I am obsessed with work and like, like the rituals of work also bring me like pleasure. And so, you know, going on the road to talk to a thousand people and going to classes and going on, like that shit is work. And I just feel like I was kind of, this isn't a good thing, but I just mm-hmm. feel like I was put here to work, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but when I'm not working, 
that's when that that's when that's when things get shaky for me. Mm-hmm. Like that's when I'm, I'm not. That's when I lose my footing. Um, and even when I was playing a lot of sports before my body broke down, you know, even at, I played you know D three ball in college and you know went to grad school and I was still running the drills and shit we used to run in college. You know, when my body started breaking down and I stopped playing ball, so that means some of my relationships with my friends kind of broke down too. That's when I was just like, oh shit, like what do I do now? I don't have basketball to create friendships, which was a kind of labor. And then the people that I'm friends with at my institution, these are people I would never really be friends with in the real world. Like, you know, like I was kind of, I'm younger than them, like black, like didn't come from a ton of money. Mm-hmm. So anyway, man, like. Not the same. Yeah, when I'm not working, it's, it's, it's a problem. It's a problem. Mm-hmm. Last question. Why, why is it important? And this is probably more for educators, I think. Um, why is it important for us as educators to help students understand why it is important for them to share their truths about their own stories? Oh man. I mean, the first answer is that I think we see the consequences of our leaders, for example, in this moment, telling us how it could all be so much worse without ever talking about how they've contributed to it being bad. And I think what we're asking our students to do is assess like social situations, but also assess like your culpability in a situation. And I just think what we're trying to do ultimately is encourage people to be better than we were, but also to be more tender, more loving than we were. And also for me, when I'm teaching students, especially at University of Mississippi, I just want students to see that like, there's so much value in the stories that they probably would never ever think to tell. Like which the story you just told about your grandmama is like, that's probably the most valuable story I'll ever hear today. But when I was in school, nobody ever asked me anything about those stories, right? Which means that like, I'm being taught in formal education settings don't have room to hold all of who I am. And so I just think we have to keep on allowing our children and our students to be as big as they can and allow as much of their personalities and their histories and their texture to come through, even if these institutions don't hold it. Because eventually, if we all keep doing that, the institutions have to change. So for me, it's about trying to encourage people to be better than we were, but also trying to encourage people, young folks understand that like, they don't need to hide they can hide because there's power in hiding, but they don't need to hide like the things that made them them. And I just think my educational experience was all about hiding the shit that made me me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's what it was completely about that. Um, and I just want to see what happens for like a generation or two. If we as educators like tenderly when we need to, uh, persistently when we need to like push our student to express with love and anger sometimes and definitely tenderness, like who they really want to be and who they are. And I don't think that we, I wasn't taught to do that. Um, that's what I think. I know I appreciate Dude, thank you, man. Look, I'm going to give you some time too. You got, what time, what time's your meeting? 12? Oh, it's at, it's at 12. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give you some time. Dude, I appreciate your time, man. I thank really you so do. much. I really do. Um, where can people find you online? Um, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me. Uh, I have an Instagram. I don't really use it. Uh, I don't really know how to use it the way it's supposed to be used yet. But I got Instagram. Um, I got a Facebook. 
I don't know, fam. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how you. I don't know what you're supposed to. Too, I'm kind of old. Like, put my name in Twitter, and then you'll put my name in Instagram. Put my name in fucking Facebook. And maybe you can run up on me. You know, maybe you can find my email if you Google my name and email and my school name. If you hit me, I'll respond. <laughs> and that is, and that is a true fact. That is a that's true. And that's one of the that's reasons why I, I appreciate you because regardless of how busy you are, and I know you're very, very busy, um, you do take the time to reach out. So um, I, 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 I vouch for you for that. Um, thank you. And I so appreciate what you're doing, bro. Like, thank you so much. And, um, and also, this is weird, but thank you for being in Manila, but also still being like here, wherever here is for me. You know, like, like I told you, I didn't even know Manila was in the Philippines, bro. Mississippi education, what I'm gonna tell you. But <laughs> I, I, I feel like we're in the same place right now. So thank you. No, thank you. I appreciate it, honestly. I appreciate it. We'll talk again, man. I'm telling you, we will. We'll All talk right. Again. Okay. <laughs> thank All you, right. bro. Thank I'll you. Talk. Later.